electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Welcome to The Exchange, everybody. I'm Dominic Chu in for Kelly Evans today, and here is what's ahead on the show. Just over 24 hours until the Fed's decision on interest rates this time around, so will the committee hold steady in back-to-back meetings for the first time since early last year? We'll look ahead to tomorrow and what it means for stocks and bonds. Plus, mortgage rates remain near historic highs, at least for this cycle. But one stock is riding that wave to become the nation's number one servicer, closing in on a trillion-dollar portfolio of balances. The CEO of Mr. Cooper Group joins us coming up on the show. And in the spirit of Halloween, we're looking at the scariest hypothetical bear cases in technology. Think Alphabet, Amazon, Netflix, and even Meta Platforms. The scenarios would trick investors and treat the bears. We'll explore those. But first, as we head out to the market action today, check out what's going on right now because it's been a generally down day for stocks overall. But the major indices have now crept into positive territory right near the best levels of the day. Right now, the Dow, the S&P 500, the Nasdaq composite, slightly higher, one-tenth of one percent higher for the Dow and the Nasdaq, up about one-quarter of one percent for the S&P 500. Now, at the lows of the session, The broader S&P was down actually 13 points. It's up about 11 to 12 right now. Both the Dow and the S&P, by the way, are still below their longer-term trend or 200-day moving averages. The Nasdaq Composite is sitting just about on top, right a little bit above that 200-day moving average. So keep an eye on those levels. Semiconductor stocks also in focus. A couple of diverging stock storylines with Wolf Speed soaring up about 23% after missing revenue expectations, but reporting a smaller-than-expected quarterly loss. Now, on the other side of things, you've got a sharp drop, about 16% for Lattice Semiconductor after better-than-expected quarterly results, but a disappointing current quarter revenue forecast. Lattice down about 16%. And then NVIDIA, the biggest chipmaker by market value in the S&P, dropping roughly 2% today. But what's noteworthy here is that brings its overall market cap to below the $1 trillion mark. So we'll get a check on NVIDIA shares, currently $403.42. We'll end with a share uh, shares of Apple, down fractionally a day after making a series of product announcements involving new chips, MacBook Pro laptops, and a new iMac computer model. Apple, by the way, you can see just trading slightly below its longer-term 200-day moving average there as well. So let's begin today's discussion with the Fed's decision on interest rates. Beyond the market and economic impact, there are growing concerns around the size of the federal deficit and the cost of servicing debt amid this higher interest rate environment. Steve Leisman has the results of CNBC's latest Fed survey. Hi, Steve. Yeah, Dom, it's like the Fed has taken the number two spot among concerns. The size of the debt, the growth rate and the cost of service that have now become significant concerns among participants in the CNBC All-America Fed survey. But there are differences over what to do about them. Let's go through the data here. 87% very or somewhat concerned over the size of the debt. 100% are worried about the speed with which the deficit is actually growing. And 90%, of course, concerned about the cost of servicing that debt. 
Uh, moving on, the federal government should cut spending. 42% say that's how they should deal with it. 7% say just raise tax revenue, but 45% say do both. That's the plurality right there, just barely. Richard Sichel from the Philadelphia Trust Company writes in with the survey, a 10-year treasury near 5% is realistic and provides investors and savers an opportunity to receive a good return. However, consumer borrowing costs have been increasing in tandem. Those higher rates make the huge federal deficit even more worrisome, reflecting the view of a lot of our participants. But there is an offset when it comes to the Fed and rate hikes. Take a look here. Uh, 65% say that a 5% 10 yield sustained for a while should make rate hikes less likely. 23% say it has no effect. And 13% say, hey, it could make Fed rate hikes more likely. What is responsible for these high yields? I was gratified by this, that it is kind of a third, a third, a third. A third say strong economic growth, a third say increased debt issuance, and a third say it's the higher for longer strategy. That's been what my reporting has, has revealed until uh, this survey came along. The survey found no hike expected tomorrow or even in the foreseeable future. The next cut, a rate, the next move, a rate cut. But that doesn't happen, uh, Dom, until September 2024. So don't hold your breath, sir. All right, Steve, what's curious about the Fed data that you've collected, the survey data, is that in the past we've talked about how much people have been talking about the possibility of a recession. What is it like this time around? Is one coming anytime soon, according to the survey? Well, you'll remember, uh, Dom, another news outlet made a big deal of the fact that the recession probability had fallen below 50% in their survey. It fell below 50% in our survey several months ago, and it's remained right there, 49%. Almost no, remember, it was elevated up 55%, even 60%. That's come back down. We actually asked two questions. What is the probability of a recession? What's the probability of a, of a soft landing? It's 42% for a soft landing, 49% for a recession in the next 12 months. All right, Steve Leisman with the latest Fed survey results. Thank you very much. The Fed widely expected to see points out to pause again tomorrow, leaving rates unchanged for the second consecutive meeting. Will this be enough, though, to halt the surge in bond yields, especially on the longer end, and spark a year-end rally for the stock market? So here with us to discuss are Tom Lee, co-founder of Fundstrat Global Advisors, also a CNBC contributor, also Michael Schumacher, Global Head of Macro Strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Gentlemen, thank you both for being here so much. Uh, Michael, I'll start with you with the bigger picture. We got all ends of the funnel covered at this point here. Big picture-wise, Steve laid out the economic case. Is there a compelling reason why bond yields should stay where they are, the 10-year around 5% or so for longer? Steve hit the nail on the head. He talked about concerns about the deficit, concerns about Treasury supply. They're very evident. And oh, by the way, tomorrow morning at 8.30, tune in, U.S. Treasury is going to announce supply increases. People are worried about this, Tom. In the last three months since the previous announcement, client after client has talked about this. It's not only investors, it's issuers, it's retail investors. Most of your viewers, I would guess, are concerned that doesn't go away quickly. Has it been, Michael, though, absorbed relatively well in this early stage of getting investors on the bond side of things used to this idea that Treasury will be selling more debt. They get the concept, big deficit, more issuance, but the speed with which Treasury has ramped up issuance is a bit scary. And I think also when you look at the headline numbers, the deficit's 8% of GDP. That's the sort of number we typically see in a crisis, in a war, in COVID, something like that. We're not in those types of situations now. People are concerned, and it's, I think, weighing in the back of their minds thinking, hey, 
Maybe the deficit goes up even further. There's even more supply than we expect. That's much worse. So that comfort zone is just not there yet. There is a comfort zone for the stock market, generally speaking, there has been this year, Tom. If you look at your comments in the past, you've been right. Things have been generally more bullish. But what about the last few weeks? Do you think that we're set up for a year-end stock rally if interest rates continue to show at least some signs that they're stabilizing on the long end? Uh, stabilizing would be very good, I think, Dom, for a year-end rally because we're getting through the tax loss selling. Um, I think the data is going to start to lean soft on the jobs, which I think is good because it takes some of the pressure off the Fed having to do higher for longer. And in fact, it could pressure yields lower. And I think sentiment is so negative now that we are in a situation where bad news probably is good news for equity. So I think the setup is good, but this is a, a really critical week. What about this notion that we have interest rates maybe stabilizing and this overall story in the markets about a certain subsection of stocks, the Magnificent Seven, whatever you want to call them, being the engine behind the market? Is the fall in yields or hypothetical fall in yields that much more of a buoyant part for stories? in the stock market because of those Magnificent Seven? Uh, yes, I mean, for a lot of reasons. I mean, the Magnificent Seven, as you're pointing out, really powered the equity returns this year. They kind of took it on the, the gut during earnings season, but they're still very good secular stories. And if interest rates stabilize or they start to fall, as we know, that actually has a positive influence on PE. So I think it is, you know, again, I think these stocks lead into year end but they are highly sensitive to what rates are doing. With, with rates, Michael, it's also about how they set up for corporate fundamentals. We've talked a little bit about the strength of the U.S. dollar, specifically with regard to the Japanese yen. We've seen some real weakness in certain parts of the currency market versus the U.S. dollar. Rising yields are part of that story. How exactly does that then set up big picture-wise for global economic flows? Is it a situation where the U.S. can continue to maybe help power other parts of the global economy as well? Or is it going to be a headwind for everybody that's not the U.S.? Yeah, the currency story has been really interesting, Don. Now, we think the dollar rally is just about played out, but it's not necessarily played out against every currency. For instance, the yen is a great example. There was sort of an unusual, somewhat confusing statement out of the Bank of Japan last night, sort of raised the cap on yields, but not exactly. The yen is weakened. Maybe the the authorities intervene, maybe they don't. So I'd, I'd probably set that one aside. But if you think about other currencies against the euro, Canadian dollar, pound sterling, et cetera, the dollar's re recent strength has been propelled by the, the U.S. economic data being comparatively better than data overseas. Not great, but better. And we think that's about played out. So probably that last push for the dollar is about done. Unless the Fed really sounds surprisingly hawkish tomorrow, we think the dollar is probably going to sort of hang in to perhaps weaken over the next month or two. How big of an impact, Michael, is the economic story in the U.S. driven by the interest rate picture right now? Is the Fed maybe perhaps justified in holding off on, on interest rate hikes in the next couple of meetings to see how things play out? Do you think it's an appropriate path of action? Yeah, we think holding off is the right path, Tom. You've had such a big increase in long-term bond yields. We've talked about it. Steve talked about it. It's been front and, and foremost, very center for a lot of people. So you can't really get past that. We think that's done a lot of work for the Fed. Probably the prudent path is to hold off. But the really tough scenario for the Fed is if it holds off for this meeting, perhaps a couple more, and if inflation sort of sits, doesn't have to increase, but doesn't come down anymore, 
then what? Then the Fed's in a very tough spot. Does it come back in six months and start to hike again? It doesn't want to go down that road. So I'd say tomorrow, December, yes, pause. Give it some time to play out. But you can't completely discount the Fed having to come back again. Tom, there's been a lot talked about with regard to the participation of other stocks outside of the top 10 or 20 market cap ones in the S&P 500. It's been a pretty big divergence starting in the spring of this year. Is it still worrisome at all? Do people just buy index funds tied to the S&P 500 because it is just 10 stocks that drive it? Or is there hope for stock pickers out there? Do we think that value-oriented sectors can participate in the year end? Uh, I mean, that's definitely weighing on investors' minds, but there haven't been inflows into equities this year. So I'm not surprised that, you know, the large cap names are the ones leading. If uh, interest rates stabilize and we're getting into a decent seasonal period and, and stocks start to show some resilience, and, I, and if the economic data this week in particular comes in a little soft, I, I think you're going to see inflows into equities, and that would be the equal weight stocks beginning to get a bit as well. And Tom, before we let you go, a quick last word to you. Is the American consumer in a good enough position to power the holiday shopping season? Um, well, you know, they've, they've been resilient so far. Um, so I, I, I'd say it's been a mistake to kind of to, to write off the consumer. So, <laughs> you know, but that's important, too. All right. They drive 70 percent of the U.S. economy. Uh, Tom Lee, Michael Schumacher, thank you, gentlemen, both for being here. We appreciate it. Thank you, Don. All right. Well, while higher rates continue to hinder things like mortgage demand and consumer spending, they might actually provide a silver lining for our next guest. Shares of home loan servicer Mr. Cooper Group are up 40 percent this year, even with mortgage rates trending towards the highest levels we've seen in decades. Joining me now is Jay Bray, chairman and CEO of Mr. Cooper Group. Jay, thank you very much for being here. Uh, I don't know, Jay, if you heard some of the conversation that we just had with Michael Schumacher and with Tom Lee, but the economic concerns and interest rates have been front and center for so many folks out there. Is the home industry in a good position right now with interest rates for 30-year fixed-rate loans hovering around 8%? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Dom. And uh, I think, look, it's uh, with our balanced business model, there's really two segments. There's the origination segment and the servicing segment. And with rates where they're at today, that 8% level, the origination market is very slow. And our view is it's going to continue to be slow because we think interest rates are going to be higher for longer, despite the most recent communication there. And, um, you know, if you think about most customers still have interest rates in that three to four range. So rates would have to move significantly uh, for really to mean be meaningful to the origination business. For us, with our balanced business model, we have a giant servicing portfolio of $937 billion in servicing, and that uh, is killing it. I mean, we've made significant profits this year in that segment. I think that's one of the leading indicators of our performance uh, because customers are just staying in their homes longer. Uh, because they like their interest rates. And, you know, that leads to a stronger earnings growth for us. It leads to, you know, higher cash flow and higher profit in that business. We're, we're just showing viewers uh, right now some of the stats around Mr. Cooper kind of at a glance. The $937 billion in unpaid principal balance, so-called UPB, that's what a lot of services look at because you basically collect a fee on remaining principal balances. Can you take us through what exactly is the uh, driver behind 
how big you've gotten and what exactly is the path forward to getting that trillion dollar mark and beyond? Well, it's really exciting. I mean, we've grown this year considerably. We've acquired over $160 billion in new UPB, and we just announced uh, a new subservicing client of over $80 billion. So we think we will cross that trillion-dollar threshold in the first quarter of next year. And really, there's a couple of factors that, you know, from a macro standpoint that are impacting that. One is, you know, if you look at the banking sector, you know, given some of the new capital, potential new capital requirements, we think that's going to lead banks to be sellers of mortgage uh, servicing rights or UPB, and we'll be, you know, one of the buyers of that. And then you also look at the independent uh, mortgage bankers, and just given the low level originations, and therefore the low level profitability, they are sellers of servicing as well. And we've been, you know, the beneficiary of that. You know, we're a huge acquirer of servicing. We think that's going to continue. Candidly, we think for the next two, three, even four years, you're going to see more servicing come to market and more UPB get sold than we've seen in, you know, decades, maybe ever. And and what's interesting about the story overall is there's also there are also other sides of the business that you have. Zoom in particular is one that people maybe don't know as much about. It is a place, a platform, e-commerce and, and data and analytics driven where people can transact on homes, buy, sell data, auction type data, that sort of thing. Is there anything within that business that you're seeing that indicates a direction overall for where the housing market could be going, given where interest rates are, especially for that 30 year fixed rate home loan? Well, you're right, Dom. I mean, I, I view it almost as a fintech play. It's really in exchange. It's a it's a marketplace for buyers and sellers, you know, to acquire servicing. And the short answer is no. We're we're not seeing a significant amount of activity there uh, because the housing market, as you know, the housing supply is low, uh, the transaction levels are low, and and one piece of the zone platform is helping the government sell foreclosed homes. I mean, we are a big provider of services there and delinquencies are at all time, all time lows as well. So we're not seeing any real, I would call it green shoots or any real significant activity there yet. We think that will come and we think we have one of the best uh, marketplaces out there. So there will be buyer and sellers that will transact, but right now there's not a significant level of activity. Jay, one last word quick to you before we let you go. Do you lower mortgage rates if we hit 7% 30-year fixed, hypothetically a 6% 30-year fixed? Does that kickstart the U.S. housing market? You know, I think, Dom, slightly, right? Again, we have a balanced business model, so we're very, very focused on our servicing business. We think that's going to continue to grow. We see massive opportunity there. But even with that level of movement in rates, you're just, I don't think you're going to see, you know, a real significant takeoff in the origination market. It will increase and you'll see some level of activity there uh, beyond what you're seeing today. But again, given where rates are for most consumers, it's not going to be what we saw, certainly not what, what we saw in 2020 or 21. All right. Jay Bray with the Mr. Cooper Group. Thank you very much. Come and see us soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, coming up on the show, we're hitting the deck with the CEO of Trex. We've got all kinds of housing stories in play. We'll get his read on the consumer, the latest home improvement trends with shares on track to snap an eight week losing streak at this point. Plus, 
Another view of the consumer with the CEO of retail real estate investment trust Bricksmore. The company's raising its full year guidance and hiking its dividend payment as well. We'll ask how he's navigating this challenging macro environment, especially for retail. And as we head out to break, let's get a quick check on the markets overall. Stocks are well off their session lows. In fact, arguably right now, just about session highs. The S&P 500 is up one third of 1%, 41.79 the last trade there. The exchange is back after this. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange. Shares of Trex are higher after the company hiked its full-year guidance after reporting strong sales growth and improved profitability. So what's behind the boost? The company citing operational efficiencies and, of course, a resilient consumer demand picture. For more on what this could say about the consumer and the state of home improvement, let's bring in Trex CEO Brian Fairbanks. Brian, thank you very much for joining us here on CNBC. This is, uh, this is something that I have a limited amount of expertise on, but I do know something about it because I've recently done a decking project in the last few years. Lumber was a concern. Composite is a step up. Then there's full PVC. Take us through what exactly is the demand picture for Trex on a composite basis when it comes to home builders and home improvers. Thanks. Great to be back on the show this afternoon again. We operate in a segment of the repair and remodel segment that really focuses on outdoor living. And that portion of repair and remodel has held up quite well over the past six months. We've seen a mid-single-digit increase in our sell-through volume during the second quarter as well as the third quarter, and that's flowing through to the strong sales numbers that we've been able to show. And we're expecting that to continue well into the fourth quarter. Now, you also mentioned in your report that a lot of this was driven by unit volume growth, not necessarily just price hikes as well, that people are actually consuming and using more of your decking products. What exactly does that say about where the home improvement budgets are going right now and whether or not people are willing to pay up above lumber for what they're doing with their projects? Yeah, that's correct. We've not taken any pricing since the beginning of 2022. So anything coming through this year is all based on volume. We have product lines that fit any budget that the consumer might have. So anywhere from $2 a linear foot, which is about two two times the price of wood, all the way up to six, $7 a linear foot for our premium Transcend Lineage series, which mimics the look of real hardwood and provides superior performance. Brian, when it, anytime we talk about the housing market or housing related products, 
interest rates invariably become part of the discussion overall. They have to be when it comes to home improvement as well, because oftentimes in the past, people have tapped home equity to then pay for projects around the house. Are you seeing any of the effects of higher interest rates on end user demand for your products? And do you think it will be a hindrance if rates stay and what the Fed tells us all higher for longer? Yeah, there's really two two impacts for the Trex company. People are staying in their homes longer because it's more difficult to be able to move up. When they stay in those homes longer, they repair and remodel. There's 50 to 60 million decks in North America. Approximately half of those decks are either at their lifespan or beyond their lifespan. People will be looking to replace that. And there's no better way to add value to your house than putting in a long-lasting Trex deck. All right. So there's the product pitch. And I get it. You're the CEO of Trex. Uh, I'm going to give you the last word on on a a more open-ended question here on your end. Do you feel as though the interest rate environment as it stands today can lead to longer-term performance for your company? Or what happens if interest rates do hypothetically go lower from here? I think there's going to be an adjustment period for the economy here. We went over a fairly quick period of time from mortgage rates anywhere from 3 to 4%, now up to 7 to 8%. It's going to take time for the consumer to get back to what we consider the new normal. And let's assume that that falls out somewhere between 5 and 6% over the next couple of years. We will adjust along with that. It'll go back to the comments I made before that there's a lot of wood decks out there. We'll be able to replace those with Trex decking. Uh, And we operate in a segment that is much more resilient than new home building, specifically related to outdoor living. All right. We enjoy our deck. We, We sprung for the full PVC, but we made a very calculated decision on that front. We looked at Trex. We looked at competitors. We looked at wood. and We decided to go outside of wood. Brian Fairbanks at Trex, thank you very much. We'll see you soon, sir. Thanks. All right. Well, still ahead on the show, tech is trying to end October on a relatively positive note, but still on track for its third straight month of losses for the first time in over a year. Coming up on the show, we'll look at some of the scariest bear cases in that industry. The exchange is back after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until that presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to The Exchange. Markets right now are just about at session highs. You can see here the Dow Industrial is up about 48 points, the S&P up about 13, and the Nasdaq up about just about 12 points. Now let's catch you up on some of the stocks to watch, starting with shares of JetBlue losing altitude after reporting quarterly results earlier this morning. We're off our session lows, though, still down. You can see 11 or so percent hitting a 12-year low for the stock. It was a wider-than-expected loss per share, coupled with a narrow miss on top-line revenues. JetBlue also cut its full-year outlook. Now, let's turn to what else is going to happen. It's going to defend its $3.8 billion proposed takeover of budget airline Spirit. Also, check out shares, as you see there, of VF Corporation, which are among the worst performers in the S&P after the parent company of apparel brands like the North Face, Vans, Timberland, and Dickies 
Earnings missed expectations there. Revenues came in slightly better, but it withdrew its previous full year earnings and revenue guidance as shoppers continue to focus more on spending on essentials as opposed to more discretionary items. So those shares down 13 and a half percent. And we'll end on Pinterest. Shares are soaring today. The image sharing social media company reporting better than expected profits and revenues after yesterday's closing bell. Pinterest also calmed some fears that ongoing battles and wars between Israel and Hamas would lead to bigger advertising revenue losses, saying that some of those clients had actually initially paused their ad spending and they've already come back to the platform right now. So Pinterest shares up 18 percent. Now let's send things out to Tyler Matheson for a CNBC News update. Good afternoon, Ty. Dom, thank you very much. The FBI Director Christopher Wray warned today that Hamas's actions in the Middle East could inspire terror attacks in the U.S. Wray testified that multiple foreign terrorist organizations have called for attacks against the West and Americans in particular in recent weeks. The warnings come as anti-Semitism grows in the U.S. Wray said Jewish communities are being targeted by extremists across the spectrum. The Senate Judiciary Committee planning to vote on whether to subpoena three Republican supporters who were involved in luxury trips provided to two Supreme Court justices. The two wealthy donors and the legal activist would be subpoenaed as part of the committee's Supreme Court ethics investigation. The 11 Democrats on the panel could authorize the subpoenas without support from Republicans as soon as next week. And Hollywood studios and actors returned to the negotiating table today. The SAG-AFTRA union and the studios worked independently Monday to prepare for today's talks. The negotiating committee said the parties are still far apart on key issues. Actors have been striking for more than 100 days, continuing even after the Writers Guild ended its strike back in September. Dominic, back to you, sir. All right, thank you very much, Tyler Matheson. Coming up on the show, retail REIT Bricksmore is on pace for its best week since June after raising its guidance and hiking its dividend payment. We'll ask the CEO how he's navigating today's macroeconomic environment. That's coming up next. Welcome back. Shares of mall real estate operator Bricksmore up about 3% after upping its full-year guidance for 2023. Now, those results were driven by continued strong lease demand from its tenants, which include companies like retailers TJX Group and Kroger as well. Joining me now for an exclusive interview is Jim Taylor, the CEO of Bricksmore. Jim, thank you so much for being here on The Exchange. Don, thank you for having me. All right, so let's talk about the state of real estate in America. It's obviously a huge concern, especially on the commercial side of things, given interest rates. Your results paint a pretty good picture. So are things for retail as good as your results would indicate? You know, we are focused on the open-air segment of retail. You mentioned mall at the outset, and I should perhaps differentiate. So our centers, as you alluded to, are generally grocery-anchored and consist of not only grocers, but value and off-price apparel users, everyday uses such as quick-service restaurants, coffee, etc. And the consumer remains strong. Traffic at our centers continues to hold much of the bump that we got during COVID, and tenants are profitable. Um, They've found that the store is a great way to connect with the customer in a place that's convenient for the customer. So business remains very good. Um, One of the things I talked about on the call, uh, our earnings call today, is that you're really not seeing any new supply because there's been no ground up development in our asset class. So when you couple that with strong retailer demand, a good consumer, uh, business is very good. 
Now, anecdotally, only because I was down in South Florida just a couple of weeks ago where there are many of those open air type facilities. You know, some people call them strip malls. Other people call them other things. But the idea is you have a large grocery store or a Walmart or some kind of a Home Depot or something at Costco. And then you have all these other stores, Starbucks, Applebee's, that kind of thing around it with retail presence. Is that the right mix? Is that the future of retail? Because that seems to do a lot better than some of the indoor shopping malls that we think of traditionally in our own minds. I think it's a pretty compelling formula because you're bringing the retailer close to where the consumer lives in a format that's convenient and, frankly, that's efficient for the retailer. And the breadth of uses that's coming into those open-air centers is as broad as I can remember. Not only do you have grocery and some of the larger format retailers that you mentioned, but also you've got the off-price, you've got specialty grocery, you've got restaurants. In fact, um, you have many restaurants that are leaving urban centers to come out to the suburbs closer where people live to up the quality of the experience and reward their reward the customer for the time spent. So it really is a very compelling model. And I think that underlies the success that we've been seeing and the success that the sector more broadly has been seeing. Jim, we're showing viewers right now a, a, a graphics, some of your core tenants out there. I mentioned Kroger before. Publix is in there, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, Ulta Beauty, Ross Store, Shake Shack, Starbucks, Chipotle. These are brand names that a lot of folks understand and know about. Can you give us some insight about which of those tenants, what types of tenants are showing some of the most interest in opening up space or leasing space within those open air type formats? You know, it's a great question, and, and the answer really is it's as broad as we've seen in some time. So not only do you have demand from grocers and specialty grocers, but you have demand from each and every one of those segments, not only the retailers that you mentioned, but many more, again, who find that the store is a profitable channel with which to connect with the consumer, uh, to set the brand standard, to really serve the consumer, and we're seeing great success across a, a wide variety of categories. And Jim, one last question before we let you go. Your footprint is relatively varied. Are there any hot spots in particular right now for this outdoor retail type concept? You know, we're really seeing strong demand across the country. Obviously, in certain markets through the Sun Belt, Florida, Texas, uh, to some degree, California, the coastal Carolinas, we're seeing good, strong demand reflective in part of some of the demographic shifts that we've been seeing more broadly. With that said, though, the, the demand is pretty broad-based across all the markets that we're in, uh, and it's really a great time for us to capitalize on that, bring in better tenants at better rents, and execute our value-added strategy. All right, Jim Taylor, CEO at Bricksmore, thank you very much. We hope you'll come back soon and tell us more. Well, dude, thank you for having me. All right, thanks very much. Coming up on the show, on this All Hallows' Eve, we're taking a look at Bernstein's spookiest bear cases in technology right now. We'll lay out those names and tech check coming up after the break. The exchange will be right back. Welcome back. It's been a scary story for October for technology. The Nasdaq heading for a more than 3% decline this month, the biggest drop of the three major indices. Deirdre Bosa joins us now for today's Tech Check for a look at which names could be running scared on this All Hallows' Eve. D. 
Yeah, Don, we got the idea from a Bernstein TMT note this morning. They looked at the spookiest bear cases in tech. These are plausible but low probability downside scenarios. For example, a meta. What if Mark Zuckerberg decides that he wants to go after the metaverse again and spends tons of money and forgets the year of efficiency? Or what if Amazon cloud growth never bottoms and Google Cloud takes more share? These are scenarios that investors may want to consider. We also threw in a few of our own. For big tech, for example, Dom, we know that this year has been all about the generative AI hype cycle, but what if that hype cycle never materializes? They can't monetize it. That would be a scary scenario for investors, or let's say it was overregulated. We know that the Biden administration is putting some safeguards in place. Um, the other one that we wanted to look at was Apple, because it is reporting this week, and of course it has this outsized influence on markets as a $2.6 trillion company. Um, one scenario we considered is coming out from the Google antitrust case. We now know that Google pays billions and billions of dollars to Apple to be the default search engine on Safari, and it makes up 35% of gross income. So if that goes away, that could be a nightmare scenario. And one that is certainly getting a lot of attention these days is the China risk for Apple, right? From the banning of government officials using iPhones to the crackdown on Huawei to the crackdown on Foxconn, excuse me, a major supplier to Huawei's return. So these are all scenarios and kind of fun to look at for Halloween, Dom. Deirdre, if you take a look at one of the tech scenarios that is playing out more broadly, that is the scariness that's happening with certain, certain semiconductor stocks out there. Just how important or what companies on the semiconductor side should investors be looking at more broadly for the health of the overall business as opposed to idiosyncratic fundamental stories? Yeah, I mean, the semi space is a little scary right now. And that relates to sort of this artificial intelligence scenario. If companies fail to monetize, then they're not buying as many of those chips, which it's not just NVIDIA. NVIDIA's stock price would certainly crash if the promise wasn't there. But other companies that have been putting huge amounts of investments, not just chip makers, but the big tech companies as well, like Google and Amazon, that are working on more powerful chips as potentially alternatives to the NVIDIA GPUs. That's another scenario to consider. And also maybe just as a broad one, the promise of this economic and this digital transformation, if that doesn't happen the way it, it turns out, that could have ramifications across the big tech companies that make up so much of the market. All right, Deirdre Bosa, happy trick-or-treating on this All Hallows' Eve. Thank you very much. All right, a quick news alert right now on Tesla. A California jury has decided that Tesla's autopilot system did not, did not cause a deadly 2019 crash. The case was filed by two passengers who accused the EV maker of knowing the autopilot was defective when they sold that Model 3 car. The crash killed the car's owner and seriously injured two passengers when it veered off a highway in East Los Angeles. Tesla continues to test the system as well as its more advanced full self-driving system despite continued regulatory and legal scrutiny. Well, coming up next on the show, Earnings Exchange will break down some of the key names reporting and set to report coming up, including healthcare names, Humana on deck tomorrow. There's also a lot of movement in that space today. Sarepta down more than 35% on poor trial results for its muscular disorder drug. That move dragging partner firm Catalan down by roughly 17%. Amgen also in the red despite beating earnings estimates. Investors left wanting more on its obesity drug as well. Additionally, check out shares of Pfizer, lower and facing questions regarding its own weight loss drug development. 
lower by 41% for the year so far. Now, by the way, Jim Cramer just sat down with CEO Albert Borla. You can watch the full interview tonight, 6 p.m. on Mad Money. But here's a bit of a preview. We're not happy with the way that the stock price is performing this year, and we try to understand the reasons, and they are coming down to two things. One was that there is a lot of uncertainty about the COVID projected revenues, and then there was a lot of concerns if we take the worst-case scenario, then your cost base is very high. That's why two weeks ago we tried to address both. We announced several agreements that we have done, but now pretty much are giving very high certainty for someone to be able to model the COVID revenues for the years to come. Welcome back to The Exchange. We're officially halfway through the earnings season and we're looking at One Oak, Yum Brands and Humana in today's earnings exchange. So here with our trades is CNBC contributor Gina Sanchez. She's Lido Advisors, chief market strategist. So first up, we got to go One Oak. The nat gas provider is 16 percent off its May lows, but gave up some big early October gains. It recently completed its acquisition of Magellan Midstream Partners, which Mizuho says will provide synergies and key free cash flow, especially as natural gas prices remain relatively lower for longer. Gina, you'd buy into the print here or no? No, we actually own this. And so I'm, I'm going to I'm going to say that this is a buy for us. This is, you know, something that has meant this is a company that has managed to navigate weak uh, natural gas prices and still grow its EBITDA. Its EBITDA has been very strong. And the, um, you know, the acquisition of Magellan is expected to contribute to that. More importantly, um, they've actually continued to grow that EBITDA through exploration and so EMP spending. And as they've done that, Magellan should actually help regenerate more free cash flow. So all of that adds up to a very good um, outlook for the company. All right. Gina says buy on One Oak. Next up, we got Yum Brands. Those shares seeing a bit of relief after a more than 12 percent slide since July. Stiefel analysts are writing that the fast food demand is showing signs of slowing there, but noting that Yum's scale and lower debt risk makes it well positioned amongst its competitors in quick service restaurants. Yum Brands, Taco Bell, KFC and others buy or sell. Uh, so we like this one as well. We own this. And quite frankly, look, when the going gets tough, the tough eat cheap. And that is what Yum Brands <laughs> represents. And if you look at sort of what has happened, yes, there is definitely some weakening in consumer demand. Um, however, Yum Brands are rolling out new products. Uh, Pizza Hut is rolling out, has rolled out melts. Um, and they've also launched some value packages at Taco Bell, which have actually been growing um, their same-store sales. And despite everything that's happened over the last couple of years, they've managed to maintain an impressive operating margin, 33%. That says something about the management of the overall company. Um, and we think that that's going to be kind of a, a, a big and important, uh, you, know, uh, you know, good point for the company. All right. So that's two buys now, Yum Brands and One Oak. And finally, we're going to key on Humana, clawing back those steep June losses. Analysts at Mizuho noting that utilization seems elevated, but it's unclear if there's pent-up demand or this is a new normal overall. They say that consumer downturn and competition in Medicare Advantage pose the largest downside risk for the insurer. Gina, you don't maybe share some of those same concerns, especially when it comes to that so-called Medicare Part C. 
Well, look, that's actually been a big component of their growth. Uh, And so I can see how you might be concerned that that this could slow down, but this is something that would affect all of the insurers at the same time. This is a company that has also managed to buy back stock um, and grow its EBITDA that way. Uh, So, you know, we actually see this as uh, a company that has done well despite an entire sector that is getting beat up. Um, and quite frankly, it's it's reasonably cheap relative to you know where where it could go. Um, so we still are holding on to this stock. We think it it you know still has some room to run. All right, so positive on Humana, Yum and One Oak. Gina, one last thing before we let you go. Is this a market right now with the current price and trading action that makes you feel a little bit more uncomfortable or more settled in? Look, we think that there's a lot of unpriced risk in this market. So, you know, if if you look at um, the risks across the board, you just aren't seeing them. Um, There is most economists have thrown in the towel on their recession bets and are just basically pricing in a slowdown. But that slowdown is probably still coming. Uh, And, you know, so we think that you probably need to remain defensive. And despite that sort of general assumption that we're going to remain defensive, We actually think that there's some downside risk to that. All right. A little bit more cautious, says Gina Sanchez at Lido Advisors. Thank you very much, Gina. We appreciate it. We'll see you soon. All right. Well, if that does it for the exchange today, coming up on Power Lunch, can't get the Fed out of our head. Gearing up for special coverage of tomorrow's big Fed interest rate decision. We'll have live coverage from Washington, D.C., beginning at 1 p.m. Eastern time right here on this show tomorrow. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.